Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. I am Dr. Jimmy Christman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week, I want to bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, and professors of theater education that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast for this episode, Michelle Trena. She is uh, New Jersey-based um, and uh, has an amazing um, theater company called the Prop Box Players that she's going to share with us all about. And uh, so welcome to the podcast, Mich- uh, Michelle. And I would just love to hear kind of your journey and how, how we got to where we are right now with Prop Box Players. Oh, thank you, Jimmy, for having me. I appreciate you so much. I'm super excited. This is my first podcast that I'm on to be that I'm on talking about prop box players. So oh, I'm excited. I feel excited. flattered. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have I started prop box when in 2013 when my daughter was a baby. She was about a year old, and I have done theater for since I was in college, and I did lots of children's theater and musical theater, and the the next step for me was to start my own company because I enjoyed it so much. But, you know, I got married. I went into teaching. I didn't know how to kind of start my own business. And I was a lot of fear. And then my daughter became a bit, I had my daughter and I was like, what am I doing? Why am I waiting? This would be awesome to start. And she's a baby. I love playing and babies just stare at you. And I'm like, let's play, let's do something. So Propbox started in that realm when she was a baby. That's really cool. Yeah. And and I uh, was teaching. I went into teaching theater when I got married uh, because I wanted to be able to stay in one spot and not travel um, and, you know, have that kind of stability of not being all over the place all the time, e- even though I really love traveling and cut to now where I'm traveling again. But um, <laughs> I, I... My daughter was a, a year old and I did, created the, the company and I was not sure what to do. I didn't know where to go. Do I do a nonprofit? Do I do a for-profit? And finally, a former dance uh, teacher and uh, boss of mine just told me, it sounds like you're creating a lot of ways not to start it. So uh-huh. I just went down and uh, to the, you know, your I, my state's website and registered the name and started and um, ever since then, I had Prop Box Players LLC, and it it was me doing kids shows based off of fairy tales, folk tales, and legends, and any original pieces I created. But primarily, I did what I knew, which was creating live theater using ed- using educational tools to incorporate the kids. That is really cool. So when I was when I was doing my little a little bit of research on 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 you and and the, and your company, um you have taught many things, um, theater, dance, English. I mean, the, the list kind of went on and on. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, um, your, your, your teaching experience with those things and, and what you're bringing from that to what you're doing now. Yes. So when I, I went to NYU for educational theater and I found a second love in performing and that is how teaching is performing. And I, it opened my eyes up to how I can use my craft to serve in a different way. And I could still act. So when I found that out, it became that a theater company incorporating both being a teacher and performing, we create an awesome process for children because 
I could essentially incorporate the kids in these shows and I don't need to hire actors. It's me and it's them. And then eventually, of course, hire more actors and they can do their own one person shows that the students are a part of, excuse me, that the children are a part of, uh, that the parents are a part of. And I felt like that was a enjoyable process for everybody because not only did they watch, they didn't all have to participate, but if they wanted to participate, they can, they could be a part of a show on a day they thought they were just coming to see the three pigs. And um, when my daughter was 20 months old, she was diagnosed with developmental delays and she had to get tested. Um, to, we didn't know if she was on the spectrum. We had to get the ATIS test. We had to get speech. We had to get developmental therapy for her. And I started to watch the therapy and notice that there was a lot of role play involved physically and, um, you know, emo emotionally. Um, and I said, why can't I gear my company towards children with special needs or inclusion based where it's not labeling them ever, you know, special need general, it's just inclusion. Everyone's involved. And when I geared it towards that, it felt like it gave it even more of a purpose because there's not a lot of theater companies for young audiences that just gear themselves towards diverse learners. And, you know, I always say I'm evolving and growing and, and, and seeing how my theater company can better serve all learners. And when I, I was a full-time theater teacher for six years in a school district in New Jersey, while I also did prop box on the side. And then I finally said, you know, I can't do everything. I have to kind of pick. And I wanted to, I wanted to keep everything under my brand. And I had enough experience now where I worked with ABA. I worked with children with various levels of, you know, abilities and um, needs in age groups that I felt like I could do it. And I, and I had taught, like we were saying, I taught English at a college level. I taught, I taught outreach programs at a college level, at a preschool level, at a middle school level, at a high school level, at an elementary level. It was like, okay, well, I've got the experience. So now I can, I can kind of put everything into this umbrella and pick what I want to focus on and how I want to help other teachers and other uh, theater, teaching artists. That is just so exciting. Um, I we have a, a a special needs theater here in in town where I live, and um, the Seedling Theater. Um, we actually have two Seedling and uh, Penguin Penguin players, and they just do such wonderful work. And and it, while they are targeted for um, uh, the the those individuals with those those needs, um, they they incorporate other actors as well who who don't have those needs um and and i i love your approach of of the inclusion of of that it that it's just good practice for all of them um i how, what does that look like um with your shows so so what it looks like is um for for virtually and in person i do a lot of puppet work hi my name is tessa that's right i like to floss but uh I only know how to post these teeth here. There's and then there's um, sensory theater where I do a lot of slime and cloud, uh, uh, cloud dough, uh, moon dough, sorry. Uh, we, we create our own bubbles in the shows. Um, lots of sensory theater I have been doing, focused on. But the uh, what it looks like overall is everything comes out of one box. And we tell the story with all that stuff from the box. And even if it doesn't look like a castle, we create it with our bodies, we create it with our sound, and we create it with the game that we play. 
I do. I learned, I did a lot of uh, improv in my day uh, and I used the improv basis of yes and right. And I give the kids cues that we go through in the very beginning of the show where we do a little warm up together. Um, so, you know, we do a warm up together and then they hear the cues through the warm up, which is almost like a game. So they never really realize they're learning rules or they're learning these cues They're just playing. Right. And then when the story comes into play, we use sensory based props to tell the story as well as themselves. And if there's no, it's, it's not, it's not, it's a low focus, right? Like if a, if a child doesn't want to get up, they don't have to get up. But if a child wants to get up, they can get up and they can participate with me. In a, in a fashion that is organized and managed well so that it's not overwhelming for children either, right? Because sometimes certain friends in the audience might feel overwhelmed by chaos or, or, or unstructured play. So they need that structure. So I keep it structured, but I keep it open for exploratory, for exploratory play and movement. How fun. Like yeah. I would just love to be in the audience and watching and, 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 and experiencing that. I I've mentioned on, on the podcast before I went um, a couple of years ago um, for my honeymoon, we went to New York and um, I wanted to see frozen and I, I wanted to see the costume change. That's I, I wanted to see it. And yeah. the audience was filled with kids, obviously. And it was just the coolest energy in the world. Um, like I didn't care that they were singing along. I didn't care that they were they were talking about Elsa and Anna, and I, it was just such a fun energy. So I would I would love to be a part of that. Um, how did this look? How has this looked for you um, in the last year? It's been a shift that has taken on that. What I wasn't at first sure how that would play out because. You know, my company is about being in person and touching things and having the kids act with me. So I had to shift and I had to shift in a way where they could still participate. Um, how do they touch things that I can't bring to them? Right. Mm -hmm. So I shifted in the best way I knew how. I just did it in phases. We did virtual shows um, and then I created uh, virtual editions of like story time books. Right. And and then I created a virtual musical. Uh, and then I created prop box sensory series where I have a box and there's sensory items in it and they can create them themselves from stuff at home. Um, so the shift virtually came into big part of the shift was sensory theater. Like I felt like these ki kids can make stuff from home and we can do it together on, on the screen and we can incorporate Tessa. We can incorporate costumes. We can incorporate ourselves. Right. Slime was a big part of it. Um, it still is. Um, my daughter is a big slime maker. <laughs> so I just went with it. I took a lot of the interests of my daughter and put it into prop box because she needed it, um, for herself. And I felt like my company started when she was a baby It shifted when her needs shifted and it will continue to do that. And I want to be the voice for other moms who want something for the kids to do and be active and and help through times like the pandemic where what are we supposed to do with human interaction? Yeah. So it, it took on a new medium. It took on a new paradigm, I guess, right. Virtually. And then I, I feel like it'll always live virtually and in person. And I think the in-person stuff won't start again till the summer because of 
vaccines. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, I just got my vaccines the second shot today. But I think even then we have to wait a little bit and see how people react to crops and, and you know, who, who's vaccine, who's not and touching and what I want, you know, that kind of thing. So shifting virtually and just kind of finding new ways to connect from afar. I was going to ask, and I, you, you kind of touched on it just then, but like, because I know in my work and, and, and my conversations with other teachers that, that the, while the pandemic has been just crappy and, and, you know, has forced us to, to relook at how we do things. Um, what, what, what are some of the good things that have come out of it? What are the, what are the, um, the things that you're going to keep as we move hopefully out of this in the next in the near future? I think that the best thing that's come out of it is that I was able to shift and create new relationships with people and build longer relationships with clients like libraries that literally brought me on for a whole summer because they weren't sure what to do. And I was so ecstatic that that relationship continued. And because usually I would do like one or two gigs with them in the year and then it would be it. And this like extended the relationship. It, it expanded relationships and it built more rapport with families. Um, I think the virtual musical was a big one because I was like afraid no one was going to do it. And because, you know, it was part of my business, but it was also me putting myself out there and saying, you know, my, you know, I'm standing on my own now without a school district, without anything else. And I, you know, I, I did it. it. It just taught me to shift no matter what, stick to the reason why you started this in the first place and you can't go wrong right like you love what you do and if you want if you want to do what you love and it feeds you emotionally mentally and physically like feeds put food puts food in your mouth you'll figure out a way you know you'll figure out a way to make it work so what what has been the 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 response from not only the the children but but parents as well from the from the summer i got a very positive response we did 3 and I was just going to do one. <laughs> so that made me feel great. It felt like I built a relationship and a trust with them. Um, I think that the library clients I started with expanded and they continued to grow throughout the year. And that made me feel like I was doing something right. So, um, and I'm thankful for them. <laughs> I mean, I played Santa Claus for a library and I was like, I never thought I would do this. And I was like, okay, you know what? Virtually, it allows me to do it because in person, it would be a little, I have to get a, one of those big suits. Like I got a suit, but I used stuff from home to make it a little bit bigger. Um, and I had some fun making fake snow as Mrs. Claus and all this fun stuff that I, I don't think I could, it would have been a little different doing it in person. I would have had to, probably to hire a different actor and I wouldn't have been able to explore this as much. It was, it was great. Well, I, I am sure we're going to come back and hit some of these things again, but I, I, I'd like to shift gears just a little bit and talk about your, your, your show divorce diaries yeah all right so divorce diaries and prop box are both llc's now now officially divorce diaries is an llc too and it's sometimes hard to juggle both because you want to give them both attention because they're you know your children but what has happened in the last couple months is that prop box has just remained with its current clients and we're, we're working on the shows that are coming up and divorce diaries, which is a live comedy show I do uh, in New York. And I travel with about my being a single mom and divorced. I have wrote a TV pilot that I'm 
that I'm shooting in June and, and you know, it's self-funded. So it's, you know, I'm looking for raising the funds myself. I have a crew, I have a creative team, but we're fundraising for it. So it's like, this is a whole beast in itself aside from the live comedy show. So it's, it's a passion of mine too, just like prop acts is. And, but it explores my entire life, you know, of being a theater teacher, being a single parent and being uh, a parent to a child who has ADHD has had, um, you know, who's above average IQ, who's super, who's like a mini me, you know, it's like, it's all of those uh, little stories, but it centers around the underdog, the eternal underdog who is an eternal optimist and being that superhero for the other underdogs. You have so many exciting things coming up and going on. And that is, you know, I, I try to find the positive and I don't try to be you know, the, the toxic positive person, but you know, I, I think in the, I, the adage is true, you know, that, that in the face of diversity, the artist thrives and we have, we find a way to get our art out there. I love that. I love that quote. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did that come about? I mean, I mean, you, you've, the, I know what it's based on, but like, like what inspired you and made you want to do it? So I always have done, uh, I've always have developed one woman shows since college. I did one in college. I did one when I was uh, married and teaching full time, which it was about being a teacher. Uh, it was called how to be a successful teacher. And it was at the United solo festival in New York city in 2013. And, and that to me was like my baby at the time. But what I realized was that was the starter of divorce diaries. Cause what, what I was starting to develop was something that was going to help me with divorce diaries. And I got divorced and I moved back home with my parents, with my daughter, with my handicapped dog, with my, my twin brother lives there and my grandmother. It was a, it was just like, you couldn't make up the chaotic comedic situations that were ensuing. And I was also trying to date again. <laughs> and that was a disaster. I had taken on a new teach, a new teaching or educational theater position that was like not working out for me. I wasn't happy there. And then I took on another job that I got as a teacher, which turned out to be my full-time theater teacher position for the next six years, but lots of shifts were happening. So I started to write and say, okay, say, I want to create something. I want to, it kept saying divorce diaries, divorce diaries. Like, this is my divorce diaries, like reality show almost. Right. And I, put it on an emerging artist theater in New York city. I put it on a one, a new work series. I was workshopping it as a one woman show. Right. And then in the next year, I think I started doing stand up. I started, you know, just trying it. And, um, I, I never looked back. I took a class at Caroline's in, in uh, Caroline's comedy club in New York city, took a class and I never stopped doing stand up since. And then I just developed the show into this one woman comedy show that used stand-up improv and sketch to reflect the the running of my life my my life was like this like track right <laughs> school pick grace up dating family school bills ex-husband like <laughs> the william tell overture of my life <laughs> so that that's in a nutshell how it started and then sure there's there's been developmental stages of it where it's gone from a theater piece to a stand up with me as the headliner to the, the or piece that it is now, which is a one woman structured comedy show, which is feels more the vision I set out to do. But 
I always saw it as a television show. I always felt like it was a show on a network or, you know, something episodic where people keep, keep tuning into like the office where it's this mockumentary and you're watching it and you're like, Oh, I can relate. It's a, there's a universal theme there, right? Everybody has had a moment in their life where they feel like they're undercut, you know, they're underdog or they're undercut or like they get rejected, but they don't give up. And that's what I, I want to serve in the series. I want to serve for the superhero that keeps getting knocked down and everyone's like, well, isn't she going to quit yet? But she she comes through in in the moments you least expect. That's that's cool. I especially I, for her students. The students is important in the show. It's a, a a television show about a single mom theater teacher who teaches at a special needs school, and the principal has removed her classroom and puts her like in the hallway and doesn't take her seriously, and no one she works with takes her seriously except her students. And maybe the paras, I believe that we're working on that too. And and nobody in her love life is taking her commitment serious. And in the comedy world, she's trying to get ahead and it's hard. And, and it's constant like pushing, pushing, pushing. And then someone pushes her to the point where she fr- gets really frustrated, but, but she comes through and her students get pushed too, like emotionally. They don't get, they don't, like no one's really enveloping them in the district or in the school and she sticks up for them. So it's that, you know, fight for the underdog. Well, I I know there are many listeners hearing this right now that will be tuning in if this is ever picked up and because you're you're telling their stories. I mean, you, yes, theater teachers teach in a hallway. That that happens. We get displaced and oh, there's an assembly today. Where am I going to teach? Oh, I'll go teach in this hallway right now. I mean, that happens. You you're but it doesn't happen to other teachers. So you've got a very relatable thing going on that is really cool. Do you mean you realize I'm going to like put that up on everything when we have the TV because that's important. Not everybody realizes that that happens to so many arts teachers, especially theater and dance. We get like the shaft. <laughs> and everyone listening right now knows exactly how you're, what you're talking about and how you feel. So <laughs> um, I, I am fascinated a little bit right now with your, um, you you going into stand up and, and doing that that absolutely terrifies me what what was that like for you and and what what things did you pull from that to to better your artistry and what you're doing so i always wanted to try stand up as well but i was fearful i did improv for years instead and i thought okay this is probably the easier route i think but then i just took the i i what is it took the bull by the horns took the bull by the horns and I went to the stand-up class because I had broken up with a boyfriend who at the time was my first, like, I felt like he was the first love I had after getting divorced. And he was just creating these weird situations for me that were comical. And I was like, I really need to like roast this guy on stage. Cause he hurt me. Okay. Maybe not the, no, for me, that was therapy. So I took the stand-up class. It did help me a lot. And I fell in love with it. I felt like I finally found my niche in performing. I'm a dancer. I'm a musical theater person. I'm a children's theater person. But stand up felt like this is what's going to take me to to Oz, like where I've always wanted to be in, in entertainment, where I always wanted to be in a long-term show or series or, you know, production team where I'm always creating and developing. This is going to get me there. Stand up. 
I feel at home here. And I, and I never looked back. It's hard as heck. It's hard as heck. You have to constantly be, for me, I have to constantly be writing and, and, and transcribing my sets and finding the beats and finding the punch. Yeah, it is. But everybody's different too. They Everybody takes on their own process and stand up and, and adapts to it how they feel best. But it's probably the place I feel most at home when it comes to performing. That's fascinating. That just, that, that's so cool to me because because in stand-up i mean your 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 goal is to be funny your goal is to make the audience laugh and, and connect with you right um yep. but there's there's such vulnerability too right huge vulnerability and fear because you don't want to not be funny but i think when i have just taken a breath and and looked at my audience and paid attention to things that excuse me, that fear goes away a little bit. When I get worked up and I don't come prepared, it's just like when you're a teacher and you haven't engaged your students. It's so similar. Sim I can't talk. What is my COVID vaccine going to me? Um, oh my gosh, right? <laughs> I I feel like teaching and stand-up is very, so, so teaching middle school, and I taught middle school theater, I told my manager, I'm like, this is worse than stand-up. And I'm not saying it in a bad way. This is more, let me say, more difficult than doing stand-up for a rough crowd because middle school students are a, your hardest audience, in my perspective, I'll ever have. So if I can hook them into the lesson, I can hook in a crowd, baby. I can figure it out. <laughs> that is so cool. And I, I love that you're... Your students um, range from from young young people all the way up, and I'm I'm going to call your audience your students too, because from what you yeah. just shared, um, what and this may be a really loaded question, and and I've got all the time in the world to hear your answer. Um, what do you see as the greatest need in your students, young to old, um, and what can we do as theater teachers and theater artists to help them? That's a great question. What do I think is the need in all of my students, ranging? all ages, right? I think the biggest need is to be heard and to be accepted for who their authentic self is. I think that's the big need across the board. I think that for everybody, we want our story to be heard and we want to be accepted for who we really are. And I try to do that when I teach all ages. I try to constantly make eye contact, constantly give them praise and constantly help them reach what the goal is or reach what their goal is. I aim for that. Do I always do that? I try, but I, it's not, I don't always succeed, but that has been across the board. Something I've seen from, from pre-K to adult. Well, looking back over your, your career so far, and, and, and I'm hoping your career is a much longer one and keeps going. Um, what, what are some of your favorite stories? Um, oh. Funny stories, <laughs> horror stories, touching moments, things that changed your life, anything at all. Okay, so as a, okay, this is one of my favorite stories. Um, I was a theater teacher in Trenton for the, that was my first teaching job. And the first week I was there, I cried in my headmaster's office. I, I didn't think I could stay at the school. And that was one of the best life experiences I ever had in my life, those three years that I was the theater teacher. Um, two of my students went on to come to Divorce Diaries. And one of them, I, I came recently, a year or two ago, to another one, Divorce Diaries. And I helped 
create a program that gave light and meaning to some of these, to, to a lot of the kids there. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say that because I was a part of that beautiful thing, which is self-expression, unity and acceptance. And it was so rewarding for me. And it also shook me out of what I was going through personally in my personal relationship, in my marriage. It shook me out of not being myself. And it started to put me back on that track of where I am today. So that is one of my favorite stories is, is teaching in Trenton and how my students, some of my students stayed in touch with me to the point where they came to my show in New York City. And when I first met them, they were like cold and shut down and closed off. And, and I still talk to some of them, two of them specifically, I still talk to today. One of the best experiences. That's awesome. And stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I've got a, a, a strange question. Um, and, and my listeners right now might be thinking that's a really weird question because it's a, a theater teachers podcast and all about theater education and promoting it and longevity in the career. Um, but I have my own experience with it, but I would love to hear yours because you shared just a little bit of it. How did you know it was the right time to leave the classroom for a new project? I love that question. That's not a weird question. No, I think it's an amazing question because I reached a plateau. I was not as happy as I was when I first started in that district. I was not waking up excited to go to that school district. It was not the kids at all. Um, it was me feeling like I was drained and taken advantage of and not appreciated plain and simple. Mm -hmm. And I was not the only teacher. And, and I'm not the only teacher across the board. I think a lot of us feel that way. I also had my career goals had shifted. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to performing full time. So there was two things, right? Mm -hmm. Not appreciated, not feel, feeling drained and depleted. And I wanted to perform full time. And that, that was the, that was the easy fit. Like, of course I'm going to do this now. And I'm going to make sure that I have the resources to make sure I'm financially prepared to do that. Um, because I don't, I don't think you can live a happy life, not happy at work. Personally, I, I can't. Some people can, can like compartmentalize that stuff. Well, it's a stable job. For me, a stable job is waking up ecstatic to do whatever it is I do, whether that's picking garbage off the street, whether that's making hamburgers, whether that's, you know, you know, running a, a you know, a service of some sort, whether it's making slime or whatever it may be, right? That in itself is stability. Not, I mean, yes, finances you need, fine, you need to make money, I get it, to live, to survive. But if you are not happy at your job, what kind of stability is that? Yeah, and I think, because we, we as teachers, that that's part of our, who we are. That's part of our identity. Um, and when when that's not, in a good place when 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 what we're doing the thing that we love is not in a good place um and i, I just think it's important that especially some young teachers um who i am specifically thinking of a, a dear friend of mine who is miserable at their school and miserable with the students and they're questioning if, if this is what they're supposed to do and we've had numerous conversations over the phone and zoom and you know I'm like if you're not happy, you need to move on. Right, exactly. And and sometimes we we 
we have a hard time hearing that and believing that, um, and that something better may is probably around the corner. Well, fear, fear steps in. Fear steps in, and let me tell you something. Anybody that listens to this and listens to my story of leaving my school district to a month and a half before the pandemic hit and surviving it and thriving, you can do it. Because I was a single parent. I am a single parent. And I, I still am nervous. I'm like, I'm scared. But I still say to myself, look, it doesn't matter. You have degrees. You have opportunities. You can make this happen. Don't give up. Figure it out. Um, I think they need to hear that because like fear stops everybody from you know, I'm a, I read the, I don't know if you read the alchemist, but I'm a huge fan of that book because it's about achieving your personal legend. And every time people get closer to it, something challenging gets in the way almost to test if that's, if they're, if they really will continue to do it. And I feel like that's when everyone's fear kicks in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've been guilty of that too. But then I finally was like, no, I'm doing it. Yeah. And I think, I think you, what, what you shared was the, 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 the feeling underappreciated and and almost taken advantage of um that that's so important to our wellness is that that feeling of belonging and that what we do matters um yeah. the significance of what we do so I, I really appreciate you sharing that and and letting me ask that question um of course. so how do you take care of yourself what do you do for you that's a great question i try to meditate five minutes at least in the morning and then try to do that throughout the day. I box uh, every Saturday. And then I also have a, in the morning, I sit at my computer with my Cafe Bastello and I write for two hours. Now, does that happen every single day? Lately, the last week, it's been for an hour because my daughter broke her arm and I've been spending extra time with her in the bed. But those three things is how I take care of me mentally to take a, a time to myself. Um, sharing time with family and checking in with friends and connecting something that feeds me because those are my support. I'm just excited to be a part of this podcast. I thought it was awesome. And I think it's great that you have a resource out there uh, for theater teachers and just like a biz, like entrepreneurs could listen to this and get so many, so much great information about how it is to use the arts in helping people wherever it is. So that's how I feel what a theater teacher does. But I wanted just to thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. Well, no, thank you. I appreciate you you sharing that. That that really really <laughs> means a lot. Um, before I get to my last two questions, I would love for you to share how the listeners can find your work. Yeah. Okay. That would be great. I would love everyone to check propboxplayers.com. It definitely needs some TLC on the website, but it is getting there. I have my Instagram, my Facebook. I even have a TikTok for propbox players. Um, or they could go to michelletraina.com. Train with a letter A at the end, michelletraina.com. And michelletraina.com, you can see divorce diaries. You can see propbox players all from that site. And then you can follow all my social on there too. The pilot, the comedy shows, the uh, prop box, and, and Tessa here will make an appearance. That's right. <laughs> um, well, I will definitely link both of those sites um, to, to your page when, when this finally uh, releases in a couple weeks. Um, so, so thank you for sharing that. Um, so my final two questions are the ones that I ask everyone on the show. What is a resource that you are currently using or have used that is a must-have for theater teachers? Oh, what a 
what is a current resource? Oh gosh. Okay. Well, there's a couple on Instagram. Is that, is that count as sure. a resource? Absolutely. Okay. So there is, okay, let me go to my prop box. I always use, um, okay. Well, out of the box speech is in Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, they are a creative approach to speech therapy and I use their, um, Instagram page to get ideas for shows that help with, um, communication and can show kids exercises with puppets. And then I also use, let's see another one. The Kennedy Center um, has, or, or I'm sorry, Arts Edge. That's one I use throughout my work as a teacher. Let me just make sure I'm, I'm correcting. It's Arts Edge. Let me just make sure I have it right. Arts Edge Kennedy Center. They have a ton of lessons on there that are like, yeah, artsedge.kennedy uh, hyphen center.org. Um, they had lots of lessons for me throughout my time, in, especially when I worked with middle school, that really helped me um, with certain, like I, I did um, a, we did a West African dance and I don't know anything about West African dance. So I, and my principal wanted me to do it. She was like, this is the lesson you have to do. Find something to, I was like, okay. And I was so nervous because I didn't want to mess it up. And I went to artsedge.kennedy-center.org. I looked it up. It, it was awesome because we, we learned it together, the students and I. I wasn't like, I'm an expert. No, 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 no. I was like, look, I'm learning this too. We're going to learn together. We're going to talk about the origins. I'll give you a little information about modern dance because that's what I know. And we'll talk about how you know, West African dance connects to modern dance, contemporary. So we had the conversation together and this website really helped me. <laughs> it made me feel comfortable going into the lesson. It made me feel supported. So that was that that's definitely a resource I've used often. That's awesome. That is awesome. Thank you. Um, and my final question is, what are your parting words of wisdom for new teachers entering this field or that veteran teacher who just needs an encouraging word right now? What is the happiest moment of your day? And put that into your life more, period. Whether it's being with your family, whether it's teaching, uh, you know, language arts, whether it's making pottery, what is the happiest moment of your life right at this, right in this time period? Do that 90% of the time. Turn your life into 90% of that. That's the best advice I can give because it's the truth. You need to be happy. I love that. I love that so much. Thank you. Well, cool. Michelle Trina, thank you so much for, for talking with me and, and, and hunting me down on Instagram and, and, and the, us making this happen. So, thank uh, you for adjusting to my crazy schedule. You were so amazing and nice and kind and I appreciate you. It's totally worth it. Totally worth it. So, um, Again, uh, that's propboxplayers.com or michelletraina.com, and you can find all the information about what she's doing and, and the journey that she's on right now with, with, her, with her pilot. And I wish you all the best with that. Um, so if you ever have a, like, a need for like, another um, theater teacher friend on the show, you can, you've got my email. Just let me know. Um, Listen, are you in Jersey in June? We need someone to play the music teacher. It's a small part. I'm just saying. Uh, let me see what I can do. <laughs> oh, but seriously, thank you so much for talking with me. And I wish you all the best. And if we can ever do anything for you or be a resource for you, please don't hesitate asking. Thank you so much, Jimmy.
and curtain. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Fed Talks Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so already, please find Fed Talks on your favorite podcast provider and subscribe to the show so it automatically shows up in your podcast app each week. Rate us by leaving some stars, review us by saying what you love about the show, and most importantly, share the podcast with those theater educators in your life. Find us on all your favorite social media. We're on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks, Fed Talks on Facebook, and Fed Talks Podcast on Instagram. Visit our website at www.fedtalks.com for all our past episodes and resource lists from the guests you've met on the show. And email me directly by emailing fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. I love to hear your feedback, recommendations for guests on the show, or if you just want to be a guest yourself. Thank you, Joel Hamlin and Joshua Schuster, for the use of your original music that we hear on the show. And thank you for listening and for all you do for your students. I'm Jimmy Chrisman. Join me next week for another great interview. Have a great week.